Welcome, everybody, to the Shop Notes podcast. It's episode 169 today. It's John, Phil, and Logan, as always, on the last of the Septembers for the podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the continuation of walnut season in all its many and various forms. So I hope you enjoy today's episode brought to you by Shop Notes Magazine. Check it out for digital issues for a great price at shopnotes.com. Go back to last episode, had a couple of comments. One of them will lead into today's episode. Uh, Kevin Thomas says, wonder if any of you guys would be interested in teaching a class for the Kansas City Woodworkers Guild. If not a two or three day meeting, maybe a Zoom meeting with our members. And I would say yes, we would be interested to all of those. Just send us an email. We'll trade uh, woodworking content for barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Just pay us in barbecue. Yeah. And then Alfita158 says, didn't Myth- Mythbusters do a crossover episode where they tried to determine which is more deadly, a walnut falling from a tree in Iowa or a penny falling from the top of the Empire State Building? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Speaking of which, how is the walnut falling sen- sensations going there? They have significantly slowed down since we filmed last week. Um, okay. Yeah, so – my boys and I and my wife picked up a bunch. We picked up eight gallons on, I think, sun, Saturday or Sunday. I think Sunday morning before football, um, before the throttling of the Denver Broncos um, commenced. But we picked up eight gallons. Uh, last night, my son and I threw those in a trash can, a big metal trash can with my mud whip, and we de-holed them, took the green holes off of them. Okay. And while I was doing that, he walked around and within three minutes picked up another five gallons. So, <laughs> and that's, I mean, and that's literally just in the area that we graded for the shop. So oh, okay. that's not like going behind because every walnut that hits the shop is hitting on the backside. Sure. And the slope of the roof, there is like a, like I could set a line of five gallon buckets up along the drip line and probably catch every one of those walnuts. You know what I mean? So they're still coming. (laughs) And I kind of screwed up the other day too, because I, we picked up the walnuts and then I think Monday night. No, Monday nights when my wife went into the the doctor. Anyways, one of the nights I went out and, uh, with my, lo- I, I seeded and I used my lawn roller behind my tractor to push the seed down into the, the dirt. I didn't pick up walnuts beforehand, so I basically planted 400 walnut trays <laughs> during that time. So, yeah, they, they have significantly slowed though. Although I noticed um, last night my wife kind of wandered outside and we were standing there looking at the trees, and like the there's one or two trees that appear to have not dropped any yet. Oh. So I don't know why, um, but I got one tree in particular that looks like it is just chock full still. So yeah, yeah. I think that's ice brood. That's the ah uh, yes, probably. They're just waiting so. for frost. I will tell you though, I love walnuts. Like, I do too. 
I, I just so we we dehauled them last night, and I you're supposed to so you dehaul them, you let them dry, and you're supposed to let them like basically air cure for like two weeks. Sure. Okay, and that, that kind of like brings out the flavor. Um, I was like, we're gonna try a raw one, like just straight out, straight out the the slur, the sludge bath, and we cracked it open, and oh my god, it's so good. So my. My wife does not like them. My boys do not like them. My, I like them. My grandpa likes them. So I'm going to bring him a big old bag full of them. Um, nice. Because he'll sit there and crack them. I didn't realize, though, that black walnuts are one of the toughest nuts to crack. Yes. I didn't. I did not realize this. So... Like trying to figure out what type of because I mean I've, whenever I've done it I've just sat there with a little sledgehammer on the, like a little three pound mallet on the <laughs> concrete and just fucking and just you know whacked them you know and I got too many to do that my my great grandpa <laughs> my great grandpa used to roll them into his driveway and then he'd back over them with his Buick just back and forth and he would literally sit there on the ground and just I well he would sweep them up put them in a bowl and then he would sit on his little Adirondack couch in his covered patio and just sit there and pick out the walnut meat. Um, okay. But I got come up, I got come up with a better solution. Yeah. So if anybody has a, a vintage walnut cracker, they want to sell me, you let me know. Well, and I've heard that that uh, black walnuts have been referred to as like the Cadillac of walnuts. Cause yeah. like the ones that you get, in a grocery store or whatever, aren't they're black like walnuts. Yeah. yeah, they're like yeah. And the reason that black walnuts aren't really a commercial crop is, is because of how hard it is to, and you can't, it's not as easy to consistently get big them meat. cracked open where you get like the big pieces. Mm -hmm. No. Yep. They, they definitely come out in chunks that are the, the interior structure of that nut is a little bit more veiny. So it's like, it holds the meat in there. So it's like, yeah. as you're picking it out, you're getting like little chunks versus the, like the big walnut halves that you get out yep. of the English walnut. Yeah. Where it looks like little brains. Yeah. Yeah. In my mechanical engineering brain, I was thinking of a way to try to like automate that. Like how do they get the big chunks of walnut that you buy at the store without because every time I, I've cracked a yeah. walnut, it's like you get those little pieces, and yeah. it's like, yeah. yeah, how do you yeah. how do you do that and get all? I of went the I went down this rabbit hole. Out. I went down this rabbit <laughs> hole last night, and it's about nine hundred dollars to buy a low end commercial automated cracker. Oh, dang. Uh, mm, mm, and how like what does that look like? Is it like rollers that like smash? It yeah. Or? So it I don't it I think they're like teeth and it's almost like a grinder oh, yeah. and as it comes in it, it grinds it and crushes it um so you basically get like a slurry of meat and i mean not slurry but like you get a, a, a mixture a of mixture meat and shell yeah, yeah. And you still gotta pick it all that's right all yeah yeah i think we could talk about was, walnut slurry chris fitch probably has something <laughs> you know what I was thinking? I was thinking maybe I just go to Harbor Freight and buy an Arbor Press. You know, they make the little one-ton Arbor Presses mm -hmm. and okay. just just sit there and just crack, crack, crack. Um, See, uh, we, we get pneumatic power, you know, air power, air compressor yeah. on this. And my, uh, my grandpa, my dad's dad had a wall, a couple of walnut trees in their yard and he was a walnut aficionado. And yeah. during walnut season, 
he had a machinist vice in his basement and he just okay. kind of had a stool set up and a like a bucket underneath it. So he'd just use the machinist vice and be like crack and then yep. pick it apart. And Man, I will tell you though, one thing I'm discovering is not every walnut is created equal. There are okay. about 7,000 different sizes. They're like fingerprints. Everyone's different. So like, sure. Trying to figure out, like, I mean, you'd be like cranking the handle to get to the smallest ones or open it up to get to the biggest ones. Some of them are, you know, yay big. Then there's a lot of them that are like little ones. And I'm thinking maybe I'll sort them into like Logan nuts and squirrel nuts, <laughs> you know, and I'll just <laughs> leave a little pile outside for the squirrels. I don't know. Well, you did plant a bunch of them for the squirrels just for, I did. That's, for that's the winter. True. And, and I, took, I took one of the dogs through the timber last night. Um, cause it was, it was just beautiful out. Um, so I took the dogs through the timber, terrible mistake. I threw away a pair of shorts and a t-shirt because there were so many burrs on them. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh God. I was, I just was like, you know, I've had these shorts for eight years. They're gone. (laughs) Uh, I'm just going to lie. But the amount of walnuts that are in the timber, them squirrels are just fine. Like (laughs) all of these nuts that we've collected, we have collected off of basically three trees and we have five acres of walnut trees. Like the, the walnuts are, or the squirrels are just fine. (laughs) They, They don't need any of my help. So you could open like a little you pick stand or something like that. Yeah. Just, well, I, I got my, my oldest son really excited because I was like, hey, it's like, you know, if you pick these up, you know, there's a there's a place in Marshall. Actually, there's, there's a few places in Iowa that buy walnuts, buy black walnuts. Oh, okay. Um, and I remember seeing a place in Marshalltown that, that collected them. Um, and actually, the way you, it works is you bring your green walnuts there. They haul them in their machine, and then you get paid on the de-hold weight. Okay. Oh. So you don't get paid for the, the heavy green weight. You get paid for, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Paid for the water field. weight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so, like 16 kind of bucks f- per hundred pounds. Like it, that ain't worth it. <laughs> That's not even we pay the gas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, to get there. It doesn't. Let alone get back. It doesn't. So, but the, I mean, it was, it was kind of cool. The Iowa state forestry association. Um, so the Iowa state foresters, um, they also pay for walnuts. Um, I don't know if they plant them. I don't know if they use them for, um, you know, wildlife feed. I don't think they probably do that just because the forestry association doesn't, doesn't like you feeding animals. Um, but yeah, it's just, it was interesting. It was, it was a little rabbit hole. It was a little hyper fixation on my right. part last night. So. Well, you're just trying to add it to the, you know, your larger family of, operations that you have going that's on right, there yeah. like chunk that's of trunk right. and what the duck yep. and yeah that's right yeah so walnut here's acres. a question walnut acres yeah here's the question then so if you have all of those walnuts if you were to fence off your property mm-hmm. would if you had pigs would do the pigs eat walnuts they do um, okay. It's funny. I was actually talking to Ann Briggs about this when we had uh, Annabelle Trades, when we had her out here for our event several years ago. That that was right towards the beginning of COVID. It was right before COVID. Yeah. And yeah, before um, I, I was talking about getting goats. And she's right. like, well, if you have walnuts, you need to get pigs. So what do you mean? She's like, pigs will eat the walnuts. Like goats won't eat the walnuts because they're poisonous to them. 
or or maybe they will, and that's the problem. Just once. <laughs> they're poisonous. Yeah, they'll eat them <laughs> once. Uh, but pigs can eat them, and their pigs' jaws can actually break open the black walnuts. Okay. Um, so yes, I could. Um, All right. My yeah. my wife kind of shot down the pig thing because we had too much stuff going on. We weren't going to be home, and then COVID hit for three years. Right. And it's, it's perfect like, time to get pigs. Yeah, that's right. what I said. Oh, like <laughs> hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had, I had the fence. Like we had fence laid out and everything. Like we were ready yeah. to go. So yeah, acorn-fed pigs are a big thing. So maybe walnut-fed yeah. yeah. pigs would be. Yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering. Uh, like, how would that change? I've always wanted to ask my, or I've talked to my dad about this because his dad was a butcher in a small town in Wisconsin. You know, and it was like they would do processed deer during hunting season and, yeah. you know, pigs. And I was wondering, cause there was a place, I don't remember if it was in Iowa that made cider. Okay. And then the leftover, uh, pressings from the apples, they would feed pigs. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if you would, if you did that and finished your pigs with pressed apples or acorns or walnuts how does that affect the the flavor of the resulting pulled pork sandwiches mm-hmm. and will the the apple pressings ferment and get the pigs drunk right i guess it depends on the on the stage of the pressings you know right. are you doing it from the from like fermented hard cider or you know just pressed out from just you know regular sweet cider yeah. yeah, I uh, I did tell my wife. So my 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 big thing with these walnuts, um, this ha- this has everything to do with woodworking. In case people are wondering, right? Uh, <laughs> We're talking about uh, trees. It's okay. Yes, that's true. Uh, I told my wife like my plan with all these walnuts is to make a bunch of like honey walnut butter because yeah. I got a bunch of honey downstairs still. I like six gallons of honey downstairs still from my last hives that we got rid of. Hmm. Um. But it made me really interested in making Nocino next year. You know, because we had talked about that. Where right. The, the problem is you need, you need the walnuts before the interior nut, like, really develops. Yeah, or the shell so, even. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, yes, the, yeah, the interior shell. Like, you're basically getting the green husk is what you're getting. And, and from my um, little bit of research, you want it to where you can take a pocket knife and cut the nut or cut the, the walnut in half still. And that's pretty yeah. much the right time to use the green walnuts for Nocino, which Nocino is a um, walnut liqueur um, that you, you basically macerate um, these green walnuts in some form of alcohol. Generally it's like an Everclear or a vodka or something. And I have heard, and sometimes you'll put like, um, cloves in it or you know whatever spices you want and it kind of becomes like this fally winter drink um i have heard some people kind of relate the taste to black licorice which i despise (laughs) i do not like um so I don't know uh, if it was walnut flavor, man. Oh, yeah. And I, t- I told my wife, she's like, how do you like those black walnuts? And I enjoy the flavor. And I think some of it is, you know, my great grandpa 
he uh he passed away at 101 a couple of years ago um but he would always he was the one that would always do the walnuts like he would always go get them out of the 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 city parks in cedar rapids he would he had a john deere corn sheller so one of them that you'd crank by hand oh. and he dumped the walnuts in there really it was at my house oh yeah it was at my house for years we just sold it last year because I'm like, I'm never going to do walnuts. I literally texted my dad last night, like, what the heck? I should have kept the, the corn sheller. He said, yeah, you should have, because that would have been the way to do it. But anyways, he would always do that. And then my grandma was the best baker in the world. Like, I don't care what anybody says. Um, Anthony and Bourdain, well, he's not around anymore. I don't care what he, like, my he grandma. He doesn't say anything anymore. But no, he doesn't say anything anymore. Uh she used to make a lot of stuff with walnuts in it that my grandpa would collect. And okay. as a kid, I didn't really care for them. But, man, you're going to grandma's house. You're like, she's got cookies. You're going to eat the cookies. And maybe this is where my love of oatmeal raisin cookies came from because she would always do <laughs> walnut oatmeal raisin cookies. Uh, so I don't know if, like, the flavor I get when I'm eating them is, like, nostalgic. But, man, I love it. So I, uh, I'm going to do another batch of walnuts tonight. Um and then maybe this weekend when it's really warm out, I'll send the boys out to collect more. I have my my son was kind of like, this is bull crap, dad. You can tell me I got to get 100 pounds to get $16. Yeah, 100 pounds after you take the right. shell. Dry weight. Yes. <laughs> Dry weight. And I was like, listen, I'll pay you a buck a gallon. And he's like, he's like, are, you, is, are we talking cash? And I'm like, <laughs> Whoa. no. Whoa. I was, I was like, I was like. <laughs> It's Minecraft I, bucks. I, well, no, I know my I know my son. I was like, no, better than cash. I will give you a dollar per gallon, and I will go let you use it at a gas station and buy whatever you Whoa. want. I know. Oh, he was like, yeah. Phew. He's like, yeah. Can I buy a lighter? <laughs> I'm like a lighter. <laughs> like what? <laughs> uh, but he's. It was when we were waiting for the bus this morning. He's like, man. He's like. Henry, I'm going to get home and I'm just going to get buckets and we're going to pick up walnuts and we're getting a dollar a gallon and then we can go spend it on gas station food. And that's awesome because gas station food is the best. I'm like, oh, the young, they're so naive. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Although I got two words for you. Roller grill. That's, I mean, <laughs> this is true. This is true. So, yep. So that's, that's the wall. That's the, you know, walnut chronicles going on right now. Yeah. So last walnut question to put out into the universe which is more lethal um walking on broken walnut shells barefoot or legos <laughs> Ooh, i'm going Ooh. i'm still going legos yeah probably I mean, because, most of the time because you're never going to be outside on walnut shells yeah i mean well, we'll crush yeah. them on the driveway and oh sure yeah, yeah, but see, and, see i think i think the the lego thing is a it's a surprise factor yeah, like you're not usually expecting in the dark it. and yeah, mm-hmm. you're just walking like if you walk outside over where you just crushed walnuts, you, yeah. you deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, true. Legos are like pit vipers. They just kind of jump yes. out at you. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So. Okay. Yeah. No, that's fair. I, and I would love to hear anybody else's walnut recollections. If you're from, the, uh, well, particularly the Eastern part of the United States, although I think there's, yeah western walnuts out there so yeah yeah you get a lot of the english walnuts out in california that's where the that's where the orchards are yeah although they do a lot of grafting out there so you get these weird like english black walnut hybrids because Mm -hmm. i think 
I think the black walnut rootstock is hardier, so they graft black walnut rootstock onto English walnut trees because they are um, easier to crack. Yeah, and they're smooth. Like they're they're a, they're a smooth. They don't have the brain type look to them like black walnuts do. Right. So, but I would also like to hear from people that are down south that are in pecan country. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry, pecan country. Sure. So. There's a line. Yes. So. And like, what would you do with the walnuts? Like, are you making nocino? And does it taste like black licorice? These are all questions out there. Put them on for uh, your answers on our YouTube yeah. channel or send them to us at woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Uh, see, now where I'm from in Wisconsin, because it gets so cold, they do a lot of grafting with yeah. fruit trees and stuff. And one of them was, you know, one of the big experiments was, you know, there's a lot of evergreen trees there yep. that are very hardy. And then you would graft like apple into that. Huh. Do you know? So you'd have this, you know, very salty apple taste. <laughs> right. Well, it actually like turned into gin. <laughs> yeah. It was more like they, it, you got the biggest pineapples you've ever seen. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, Anyway. This is why we don't get invited to the Garden Gate <laughs> <laughs> podcast. On their yeah. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. You know, one thing, it does, does remind me of a book that I read several years ago. It's called Oak, the Frame of Civilization. Okay. And it was about how oak trees were useful across a wide variety yeah. of cultures historically and what people did with it. And, um, this was something, and it was something that I had wondered about, but got the answer is that long ago, people would collect acorns and grind it into a flour to be used in either stews or in baking. And, and, but apparently like red oaks, the red oak family, has it's very i don't know what the right word is astringent or something like that that you had to rinse them soak it and rinse it a lot in order to be able to use the the nut meat from it whereas like white oaks you don't have to and then there are some cultures i think in korea where you can buy like acorn paste or flour or things like that Mm. and then would use that and then the a lot of the Native cultures in the U.S. did the same thing where they would make kind of like yeah. baked goods from it. And so. I, I've, I've heard that same thing where, you know, the the acorns, to utilize them for human consumption, you have to, you have to soak them. They're, I, I yeah. don't know if it's, I don't know, like they're very bitter, I think. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I've never tried to eat an acorn. Yeah. So. What about anyway. the gold? What about the golden oaks? What are their acorns <laughs> like? Or did they die out in the 1990s? I think they died. They in did. The 90s. Yeah, they yeah. were just yeah. way over. They're on the CITES list. Yes. For, yeah. Like it with mahogany the, and ebony yeah, like and, the, it was the yeah. shiplap, the shiplap pandemic. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Brought to you by Shop Notes Magazine. Check it out. Four digital issues for a great price at shopnotes.com. 
Uh, anyway, it's, to- it's it's interesting because I also heard um, actually I heard from uh, Shannon Rogers, uh, Renaissance woodworker, um, has a Shannon's lumber uh, lumber update in lumber industry update podcast. Anyways, he had a good good segment on talking about how the poplar was the tree that built America. I really? mean, it, kind of along the same lines of. The oak, you know how oak was. I mean, oak's been used in, in boat building. Like, ev- ev- oak's used for everything. It grows right. everywhere. You know, everybody uses it. But it was interesting that Shannon was talking about poplar was one of those that when people hit the U.S., North America, the poplar trees. That's what, the, I mean, they grew hundreds of feet tall. Right. Straight as an arrow. And they used them for everything. So it was that interesting. Was, it was interesting, yeah. It was. A, it was. Uh, it might have been a Wood Talk podcast several years. That's probably ago. how they got so popular. <laughs> probably, that's probably what it was. If you can find that, we'll put a link to that in the show notes page for that podcast. Yeah, I'll see if it's, I can find it. Yeah. Okay. So to transition to some legitimate woodworking, uh, I had some a request from my college-age student about needing a rolling pin for mm-hmm. making pizzas. So I found needing? a little... Oh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, so there was a little piece of walnut that we had used for a bandsaw cradle tip that was here, and it looked exactly like it had a rolling pin inside of it. Mm-hmm. So I decided to turn one, and I did. And nice. I don't do, and I don't do much turning. But although you've done more and more over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. that's true. I have mostly tool handles, mm-hmm. but maybe that starts somewhere. Maybe that's the gateway drug. Mm-hmm. And so I did a French style rolling pin, mm-hmm. which is different from the more advanced engineering German style. That has the handles and then the round roller in between it. The French style mm-hmm. is just basically a double tapered dowel. Yep. So, which I thought would be relatively straightforward to do. And it Surgery's is. hard, yep. But having each side be, you know, similar or symmetrical is not as easy as it looks. No. The symmetry is deceptively hard because you're like, he's got to make one side look like the other. Well, <laughs> you go a little too far on one side, you got to go a little bit too far on the other side, too. But then you go a little yeah. bit too farther, <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, you're, it's you're chasing this endless loop. Yeah. 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 So at some point, I just had to cut it off and be done with it. But yeah. I did get it done, and I think it looks pretty cool. And looks good. A walnut and rolling pin and walnut was kind of fun. And then I had, uh, we had ordered some chunks of shellac wax a while mm-hmm. ago. And I still have the chunks somewhere. But then I had softened them with turpentine in a double boiler. And so I have like a paste wax of shellac wax. So I applied that to the rolling pin. And that was cool too because it's got a nice, nice color. Will it get worn off eventually? Yeah, but one hundred percent. Yep. 
Doesn't matter though. Yeah. You know. So anyway, speaking that's kind of fun. Yeah, speaking of turning, so one of one of the guys that um I I'm friends with Tim on Facebook. Um I know he has he's commented before on our Facebook lives. I know Tim listens to the podcast. Um but Tim's been doing a lot of uh Tim Passmore. He's been doing a lot of um he's been experimenting. I've kind of watched his journey experimenting with um basket weave illusion turnings. Okay. Um and I'll show you I'll show you one in a second. Um but I, I I always see that Tim's selling his work. So I reached out. I just sent him a message on Facebook. Say, hey, Tim, how do I buy one of these? He's like, well, just, I don't know. Just send me money and I'll send you one. <laughs> and I was like, Seems well. Seems straightforward. I was like, how about, how do you feel about doing a trade? Like, I'll trade you one of my Haliforms for one of yours. And he's like, that sounds cool. So it arrived, I think, early last week. So this is what a basket weave illusion is this is a little hollow form um so it is turned then you use a beading tool to create these these ribs around the outside and then you individually burn the groove in between the beads and then you segment each of those into what should look like a native american style basket weave um, okay. And then you can color them. So basically you're left with a grid and then you can do whatever design you want. Um, so this one is kind of these little diamond chevron type things. Um, it, beautiful. Um, What's the coloring? Is it just dye or magic uh, marker? So they're, or... Usually, they're usually like a, uh, a dye pen. Okay. Like, think of a paint pen, but not, not a paint pen. Um, there's, there's a bunch of different ones. You, if you walk into Michael's, you know, any water-based or alcohol-based one, um, is what a lot of people will use. And the, the burning then gives you kind of a color by number. So what guys do, uh, guys and women, not, I'm using that term broadly. Uh, what people do when they turn them is they'll, they'll turn them. They'll do the lines. Cause you do, you, you do the beating, you do the burning on the lathe. And then you also generally do these burnings. So the, the rays on the lathe, but then they'll finish it. Then they'll bring it and sit on their couch watching TV coloring it. Because, I mean, some of these, this one, Tim said, has 1,728 cells. Okay. Um, some of the bigger ones, he said, it will have over 5,000. So if you think about coloring that, like, and this is a pretty basic design. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a nice design because it's nice and simple. looks good. But some of the real big ones that have really tiny cells will, I mean, you'll spend hours coloring. So people sit on the couches coloring them. Um, so, yeah, Tim's, uh, I'll put Tim's email up on the show notes page. Um, Timber Creations, um, timpass76 at gmail.com. Um, now, here's the thing, though. When I generally give somebody, so my turnings, I don't sell them. Usually I just give them away. I like to, I like to gift them to people. Um, I'm always gifting them to people that don't turn. So they're always like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like how like, no, I Tim knows how to turn. <laughs> so now I got to put up or shut up and actually do a good job turning the hollow form. There's actually a, there's a piece of elm on the lathe right now that I started working on for Tim um, that I haven't got to uh, because of, crap going on this week but yeah it's like 
Dang it! Now I actually have to. I gotta put. I gotta. I gotta put up and get Tim a nice piece because this one. There you nice. go. Yeah. Can raise the bar for you. You'll yeah. send your turning, and then you see him later just using it as a blank to turn something else. <laughs> He's like, nice try. Yeah. Nice try. Um, yeah. So no, this is this is fun. I, I don't. I we I give Becky a lot of crap in our office um, because Becky likes to collect stuff. She's a collector. Mm-hmm. She likes rocks and we talked about this i think last week um a lot of people uh, on our staff um collect like minerals and crystals and stuff like that and to me they're dustables i now have a collection of turnings Mm -hmm. so i have the same type of thing but from different artists so tim's is going on the shelf next to um some jimmy clues and pat carroll's and david mark's pieces so okay so tim is a good company the best part of a collection like that, though, is <clears throat> it's not like you just found them randomly somewhere. Or I searched them out. Purchased them from yes. some touristy store. Yes. You know, on the beach or something like that. They're, it's people that you know. Yep. And so you know not only the person, but also their you know turning the style yep. and a lot exactly. of the stuff that goes with it. So Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, but no, but it's I'll, I'll have to bring this in so you guys can see it because it's it's real it's it's a very tactile thing to hold because of all those cells. It's very it's very very cool. See, if you got into making stuff like that, I'm sure Becky would color them. She likes coloring, so that is true. That's fair. Team up. That's it's a actually team up. a great idea. <laughs> we, we call those collaborations. Yep. <laughs> Teamwork makes the dream work. Yep. All right. So there you go. Which would bring me full circle here to where we started is I wonder if people were to be thoughtful about the kind of woodworking they do throughout the year. Is there a seasonality to woodworking? In the sense, you know, like you're collecting walnuts right now. Mm Do people have, like, at this time of the year, you're building this kind of stuff. At another time of year, you end up doing another kind of. Yeah, because yeah, we kind of make assumptions in the magazine publishing industry of, like, well, spring, maybe people are working on outdoor projects for their right. decks or patios or bird feeders or birdhouses and that kind of thing. And in the fall, maybe they're doing you know, Christmas presents, you know, gift projects, that kind of thing. So yeah, it'd be interesting to hear what people have to say that they're doing yeah. out there. So anyway, if you have any thoughts on that, you can put that on the comments as well. We'd like to share some of those in next week's episode. That would be kind of cool to find out from people. So mm-hmm. the other kitchen, I did a couple of other kitchen related projects this week too in uh, I have, uh, I do a lot of cooking and enjoy it. And I love using cast iron pots and pans. I have three cast iron skillets and a big enameled cast iron soup pot or whatever you want to call it. And the two smaller skillets that I have did not come with lids because I picked them up. I don't remember. I think one of them was from a garage sale 
long ago. And then the other one was from like Goodwill or a resale shop or something like that. And I've been on the lookout for matching lids, but in that size, that is extremely difficult to find. People apparently keep them or lost them or they just never were made or whatever. But then I got a an ad or an email newsletter promo, something or other from Milk Street, which is Christopher Kimball's new or recent thing, TV show, magazine, all that kind of stuff. And they had a Japanese cast iron pot. And it, instead of having a cast iron lid, it comes with a wood lid, which kind of surprised me. But then doing a little bit more digging on it, just because it piqued my curiosity. In Japan, there's a cooking accessory that is a simmering lid that they call it, where it's just a wood, thin wood lid that doesn't fit over the pot. It nestles inside so that it keeps all of the cooking ingredients at or below the level of the whatever cooking liquid is so that nothing floats up and gets dried out or whatever. So for braising or, you know, whatever. Which got me thinking that maybe I can make my own lids for these two cast iron skillets. So I did. And in Japan, they're made from a, a Japanese cedar, which is part of the Cypress family, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, but I had some Western red cedar around that had some really cool grain on it. So I made made two lids and then put a handle in it that is held in a sliding dovetail. So and I was, it was pretty fun and I think it turned yeah. out really cool. So I wonder how that's going to hold up to the heat and moisture. Like, will it want to curl? I don't know. I had, maybe we'll have to find know, out yeah. when I put the sliding dovetail handle on, I put it across the grain for that very yep. reason. And I didn't it's glue it. it yeah. Yeah. It's to, you know, as a way to hold it flat. And it, I mean, in a sense, there's nothing precision about it other than having a nice fit. I put a little rabbit around the bottom edge so that it kind of nestles on the, mm -hmm. on the pan. But. Huh. There you go. So on a unrelated note, I have a question for you guys. And this is kind of related to something we talked about yesterday. Okay. What is a good wood combination for a workbench? Yes, Kevin, I know you want an ash workbench. <laughs> I don't want an ash workbench. Uh, because we are, there's two, there's two workbenches on the horizon. One is one for the shop here. One is for our TV show. And we were talking about combinations. And both of those, I think, need a certain aesthetic for what they are. Um, you know, to look good color-wise for videos and photos. Both of them need that, right? Um, so, like, our current workbench in there, I think, is, at, is uh, maple. Yep. Um, most workbenches, I'm making a generalization there, will have a maple top because it's hard. 
Um, it's just pretty stark. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We we had for a, a recent shoot that we did type on um, some type on videos with. Uh, we had one of our video studio or photo studio benches in there that is a fur top, and that's a really nice color. Um, so what what do you guys think is a good combination for like bench bases and tops together? Yeah, I know we've maple use maple a lot because it's hard, but I think sometimes it's too hard and brittle. A yeah. to work yeah. with and to work on. I almost prefer something like beach that's a little softer. I mean, so hard, but not yeah as hard. So it's got a little bit of give to it. Yeah. Yeah, because after you left, John and I were talking about maybe doing the bench for the video studio because we want something that doesn't have that starkness to it of the maple. Or a lot of times maple, especially with an oil finish on it, end up looking yellow. Yeah. Yep. Um, Because we had talked about doing either fur, like a vertical grain fur with really tight <clears throat> growth rings, or maybe doing it in beach, like a straight sure. yep. grained edge grain beach, because it has a little bit more of that red yeah. in it. And then we could still do the cherry base for the plan that we're doing. Because it would seem like you would almost have to do, like there's a couple approaches you could take. One is that there's a very strong difference between the bench top and the base. Mm-hmm. It's all the same. You could do all the same, which I think would look a little too uniform. It feels like there has to be some kind of a difference. Or you do something where... It's a similar tone, but the top would be something that is really low figured or grained. And then the Mm -hmm. base would have same color, but more grain pattern or figuring in it. So I was, I was planning on for, for the bench here, um, do I, I have a bunch of I have a load of cherry that just came out of the kiln. I was planning on doing a cherry base. Okay. But the top, I just don't know. I don't really want maple. Okay. I don't really want cherry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like and then and then you, you fall into the you know, there's there's two mentalities when it comes to the bench tops that the top should be really hard, should be harder than what you're working on or working with, or that it should be softer than what you're working with. So it doesn't net your parts. So I don't I I just don't know. Um I had thought beach doing like a cherry base and then a beach top. Um because that's a I mean that's a pretty decent color. Yeah. Um and I think and those would go well together. I think so too. Um, but I don't know. I, I just, it's one of those things I'm kind of, or, you know, I hate to go, I feel like this is kind of the, the 90s things to mix and match wood, but like, do you go like, you know, cherry doors and then 
maple panels on them and then you do a maple top. You know what I mean? Like, do you, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have some really nice spalted birch here. Because you're doing a like a cabinet base. Yeah, I'm doing like a cabinet bench. style base. Yep, yep. Yeah, there'll like be a lot style. of yeah, a lot wood. of wood. Yep. Or or I don't use the cherry. I use like a, a poplar and I paint it. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is what you I know, did. I mean, and that's yeah, and that's a that's a completely legit option. Um, yeah. You know, so I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, because you could always paint the cabinet and then do whatever top, whatever top, or you know, doors and drawers are not painted as well. Yeah. I mean, yep, yep. So there's options there. Yep. So, and then on that note, how do you guys feel about tool trays in a workbench top? They just kind Phil of says no. Dust. They kind of collect dust. And, and yeah, chips for yeah. me. I'm not that organized of a woodworker. I've learned that and come to accept yeah. that about myself. <clears throat> and I think you have to be pretty meticulous in your care of what you're doing. Plus, I guess I could see it if you did a lot of hand work. Yeah. So that the debris that's on your bench is mostly shavings. And not dust. And not dust. But you do some handheld routing or biscuit joiner or mm-hmm. whatever, and all of a sudden you get a bunch yeah. of, like, you know, granular kind of stuff, then that becomes more of an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I do kind of like having um, maybe, like, a tool rack on an end or behind your bench. Okay. You know, where, you know, we have that tool rack on the video set where it's like hold chisels and squares and files and that kind of thing. I think that can work far more than, uh, than a tool well does Mm -hmm. for the very thing that John said. It's just that. I was, I was thinking about it because I'm, I'm sitting here at my bench right now. Um, and I have a large, tabletop sitting on the bench um and then there's a bunch of tools i haven't knocked any of the tools off yet but sliding parts around i'm like god it'd be really nice to have a well there Mm -hmm. to be able to just drop those tools into so i could then slide the top over top of them you know what i mean right um i don't know I, i guess i see i see both sides of it it does the one thing that it does do is it eliminates the use of that backside of the bench. Um, right. Because you can't then use that, that assuming you put the tool well on the backside of the bench. Mm, right. You can't then use that backside for any work. It's a well. Um, there was a, there was a very good, and it's been, it's been <clears> probably <throat> 10 years since I saw this website and I can't find, I've looked and looked and looked and cannot find it. Somebody had a website that had a bunch of shop tours on it. It's like video shop tours and or, uh, yeah, shop tours via video. Um, and there was a gentleman, I can't remember who it was. He had a bench that he had built that was, it was pretty much square, like call it square ish, but each corner was designated to one task. Like as far as 
this is where I work on the edge of the board. This is where I work on the end of the board. This is where I work on the face of the board and stuff right. like that, which was kind of interesting. So he basically had four different vices, more okay. or less. Um, and then that's where I, that same video, that same gentleman's where I picked up the toothing the bench top um, oh, yeah. from because he, he talked about how he continuously would tooth his bench every couple of months. Um, so I don't know, because my, my plan with vice is on my bench, and I don't know what our plan is in that studio. My plan is to use a tail vice or a wagon vice. I haven't decided on that in conjunction with the Emmert vice I have. You know, I know a lot of people like the big leg vice, and I have one, and I do enjoy it. Um, but I think that I want to use the Emmert vice instead. Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's more of a... A face vice, kind of like you have on your bench, Phil. Um, yeah. And I hate to use the Emmer as a face vice because it's much more than that, but that's what I'm going to use it as for now. Um, so I don't know. I just, there's all these, it's like it, when you build your, when you build your final workbench, is it really your final workbench? Like, is there things on your workbench, mm-hmm. Phil, that you would change that you just finished building? Uh, just, just as in two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about it, and it's hard to say. Like, right now, I'm still pretty happy with it. One thing that I have noticed is I have one of the uh, Gramercy holdfasts, the, like, round wire ones. I have one of those, and I have one of the Lee Valley the Veritas ones with the little knob that you turn and it applies pressure. Yep. The way that I built the bench, I thought it was thick enough because I had a pretty thick top board and then where I would have my hold fast holes and then the dog holes that run in line with the vise, I put another, I glued another layer down underneath it to bring it up to a, to make it thicker. However, I've noticed that it's not quite thick enough for the Gramercy Holdfast to always lock down, Mm. which is frustrating to me. So I don't know if it's because I have my benchtop is white fur and not a hardwood. You know, that it just doesn't lock in. The, The Veritas one... I don't have a problem with at all. Yeah. So. Hmm. I, I bought a hold fest. I don't have it out here. It must be in the basement still at the first handworks from a blacksmith that was there. Um, yeah. and they were, it was too smooth. Okay. So I actually ended up, I don't remember if I, I think I took my angle grinder with like the coarsest, like it was like a concrete grinding disc I could find and I ground the crap out of the shaft and yeah. that got enough grip that it will grab. Oh, so yeah. that'd be interesting. Maybe I can try that just to maybe yeah. scuff up edges yeah. or something like that, just to see if that'll help it bite a little yeah. better. So, yeah. I mean, cause the, the, the Veritas one, the shaft on that is definitely ribbed or however you yes. want to describe it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's not knurled, but it has ridges. Yeah. So, um anyway, that's what's going on there. So, but yeah, cool. it'll be interesting to see. I I don't think I have really any other uh 
changes that I would make to the bench. I've I've been really happy with it. Good. Yeah. And the top is acquiring a nice patina of use, both in the coloring and because it's soft wood, you know, it gets a little dinged up. There's that, f when you first make the bench like that, the top is this pristine, flawless surface. And you almost hate to see the first few marks on it, whether it's a yeah. the bite of a saw or just dings and dents or whatever. But then you just kind of got to get over the hard middle of having, you know, all of a sudden it's going to, they blend in with a bunch of other ones and then it just looks used. So mm -hmm. I feel like when I built my bench, I was very conscious of like trying not to put holes in it, trying not to, it was just funny because mm -hmm. it moved, it shrunk. Like there are gaps on the corners. Like it is <laughs> nasty. It is messy. And now I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I'm filling holes on this uh, on this tabletop with epoxy. I'm like, I should tape the bottom of it. I'm like, it's just going to glue down to the bench. I let it glue down to the bench, and I just <laughs> grab it, twist it, and rip a chunk out of the top of the bench. Like, I'm at the point where I'm like, I know it's getting replaced, so it doesn't really matter. There you um, go. But, yeah. Yeah, when I built my workbench, it was out of, you know, the MDF top, layered top, and uh, Douglas dimensioned, you know, two-by-four Douglas fur and stuff, and knowing that like you know what if i tear it up and put holes in it, who cares but i'm still like super careful about all that stuff and even building it out of cheap materials and i don't know yeah. just ocd like that but yeah yep. it's easy to resurface and make it look nice again if needed but yeah all right, there you go. That wraps it up for another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, you can leave them on our YouTube channel in the comments section, or you can send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Uh, again, this podcast is brought to you by the fact that people support Woodsmith Magazine and Popular Woodworking and Shop Notes Magazine. So we would love it if you would subscribe to one, two, or all three of them and help us out and be able to continue to do these episodes thanks for listening everybody bye